It's time for the Smart Money Questions Podcast with Matt Hausman. This is the show that provides you with a sound financial education and helps you avoid financial pitfalls. Make sure you are asking the right questions by listening to the Smart Money Questions Podcast. Thanks for joining us here on Smart Money Questions. This is the podcast that will help you learn a little bit more about what's happening in the financial world, what's happening maybe even with your own financial plan. Some of the things that we talk about here on the show may just impact or resonate with you and what you have going on in your financial life. I'm Walter Storholt alongside Matt Hausman, the founder of Old Security Group with offices in Westchester, PA and Newark, Delaware, but serving clients, as we like to mention here on the show, all across the country. You can find us online at smartmoneyquestions.com. Matt, this podcast is posting right at the end of November, early December timeframe. So peek behind the scenes, folks, if you haven't heard us mention before, you know, sometimes we pre-record a couple of weeks in advance. So Maybe you're not like fully into the holiday spirit now, but by the time this is getting posted, you know, post Thanksgiving, bellies are full and we're thinking about Christmas time already. Pretty crazy that, you know, even as we're recording this in advance, that we're that close to the end of the year. It is. And Thanksgiving is by far my favorite holiday of the year. Is it? Okay. So absolutely. In your mind, as we try to record this in the mindset that we're post Thanksgiving, you're very full right now, aren't you? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> full of all things good. That's know? right. And lots of tryptophan, the, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. The biggest reason I love, I shouldn't say, one of the biggest reasons is Thanksgiving is easy to plan with the family because it's the same time every year with the same days off. That's true. It's not like Christmas and New Year's where sometimes it's a Tuesday and sometimes it's a Saturday and you got to kind of figure out what works best. Yeah. Correct. It's Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And we know it's going to be there every year. And then you pack on the fact that family's there. You know, all the sports are on. You got college football, pro football, you've got hockey, and then you've got basketball. I mean, it's, you know, it's my favorite holiday by far. This is the first year in over a decade that I don't have a Thanksgiving where I have some sort of work broadcasting, usually sports commitment. For over the, okay. over the last decade, I'd had a sports commitment over Thanksgiving weekend of some way, shape, or form. Sometimes it was traveling outside the country for a tournament. Other times it's been as simple as just like, you know, working a football game on Saturday or something like that. But so we've never really had Thanksgiving traditions. So maybe we'll be starting some, you know, in the near future at some point. But Especially in that new house. Exactly. Yeah. All of our family lives in other areas. So we're always doing the traveling. We've got to host something one of these days. That's right. <laughs> we'll have to pick our own holiday that can be like, oh, this is the time we go to Waltz. We have to carve out our own niche because like we're well down the pecking order for hosting things like Christmas and Thanksgiving at this point. <laughs> so we, we've, we've got to rise up that list. We've got a lot of other uh, patriarchs and matriarchs in the family that have dibs first. So we'll pick like, oh, we have some friends that their, their one big party a year is Groundhog Day. They carved out the uh-huh. niche years ago and staked their claim in it. And so there's always the Groundhog Day party at Scott and Samantha's. It's just that's their thing. So we've got to find our you know, President's Day or National Mac and Cheese Day, something like that. We'll just... Now, is theirs on Groundhog Day every year? So they might be having a party on like a Tuesday afternoon? Every year. Yep. On Groundhog wow. Day. Yep. They dress up like groundhogs. They've got a huge <laughs> poster. It's actually a really cool piece of art that a friend of theirs did for them at their very first Groundhog Day party many, many years ago. And it's actually a really cool piece of art, but it's like a... 10 foot tall painting of a groundhog 
And so they bring it out every year for the party and hang it up on the wall. And it's, you know, people take pictures around it and it's pretty funny. And now they have two little kids. And so now they dress the little kids up as little like miniature groundhogs. And it's pretty funny. They have a good time. That's for sure. So yeah, I got, got to find our niche, our holiday. I'm open to suggestions, so feel free to make any at any point in time. All right, we got a great podcast on the way today, Matt, because we're going to talk about financial advising as problem solving. I think because I was in this boat, and I imagine that a lot of people were in this boat at some point in time, and maybe you still are. A lot of people think that a financial advisor's job is picking investments. I hear financial advisor, I think you're picking stocks. It's a pretty easy correlation to make. Matt, do you think a lot of people are kind of in that mindset, in that boat? I would say, yeah, you know, especially with where the financial planning and advising industry has kind of morphed into over the course of the last 20 years. Okay. It's really changed from what we traditionally thought advising was. Yeah. So with that as the basis for the discussion, it's really interesting when you start to dig into it, you find that the reality is that the primary job of a financial advisor is to solve problems. And so much more goes into this whole thing than just picking the right stocks and that kind of thing. So I wanted to highlight just a couple. And we thought of a whole bunch of different examples of this, but we're just on the podcast today only going to highlight a few of these examples where financial planning has become less about picking investments and more about solving particular problems. And so here's one great example of where this thing just goes many layers deep and it happens very quickly. And that would be when somebody is forced into an early retirement, which, hey, maybe that doesn't happen to you, but I bet somebody you know has had this happen to them. Yeah. And interestingly enough, that's happened a lot over the course of the last five, six, seven years. As a matter of fact, I sat with a client that got noticed just last week, got a notice that there was an opportunity if they wanted to take advantage of an early retirement option. The way the company phrased it was, okay, you only have until this date, about three weeks out to make this decision. And then if you don't, well, the next step is we're probably going to lay you off. <laughs> I was like, wow, that's, oh, you know, that's not pleasant. really given a lot of choices there, right? So <laughs> one way or another, it looks like this is coming down the pike. That, and, uh, that escalated quickly. <laughs> yeah. And this was, it's a very large international firm. And this is what they were doing with just the domestic, the U.S. part of the company. But the idea then where we've assisted with clients that has had this opportunity, if we want to be positive, looking at it as an opportunity, is understanding what they need to be looking at and what are the benefits and potential pitfalls of this option that they're being given or if they're being forced. You know, one of the clients I can remember that was forced into this situation was about six years ago. And they'd only been a client for like six months. And the idea was that he was not going to, quote, retire for three years. And then, boom, this came about, and it had to be done by the end of that year, by December 31st. And they sent the package over. He'd been there for over 30 years. And we went through looking at the document that was given to him. I would go back, and I would ask for this and this. This one, this part looks really good. This part looks really good. And he was able to, because it wasn't as the first part, which was more of a massive, you know, we're just going to blanket the whole country with all of our employees and give this. This wasn't a situation like that, although it was a very large domestic company, 
But we were able to go in because it was individually based on a couple different people within the home office to negotiate his early retirement buyout. And it ended up really working out well. And they had the resources and stuff where they could go ahead. Uh, the, the real thing that we were negotiating was healthcare for the wife until Medicare. And we were able to get it done. And so solving that problem, because many times people aren't looking at that stuff every day and they're trying to really decipher what's this 40 page document really telling me, right? And how is it going to be beneficial? And then on the flip side, have I done everything else I need to do to make sure that my lifestyle and my retirement now is going to be what I want, considering it's three years in advance, or it could be even more. So many different things to consider when that kind of scenario pops up. And it's just a great example of retirement planning already being complicated. Now you force an early retirement on somebody who's unprepared for it that may not have fit into their previous financial plan. All of these additional questions start popping up here and there. So that's a really good example, I think, of the early retirement. Interesting to hear the story that, and I know that's just scratching the surface probably of the amount of people you've had come through the door who have had a situation like that happen to them. Yeah. And I will say in that case, that's unusual that they were able to go back and negotiate a couple of the pieces. But in other ones, you know, where clients, they weren't being forced into it. They had the option and letting them see, you know what, this either is a good opportunity for you to get out with what they're offering or on the flip side, you know, I would stay around and wait for another offer to come around hmm. and be able to articulate that and show them this is the good and this is the bad and you decide, you know, which one you like the best. If you can deal with the bad or if the good looks way over what the bad is or, you know, the bad's pretty doggone bad. In in many cases it, you know, it comes down to healthcare. Because when we look at where the client's overall assets are, if there's not a way or if they're not given some type of quote retiree health benefit, the health insurance costs can be exorbitant depending on what that future income stream is going to look like, where it's coming from, and how is that going to impact your overall retirement income need. And that, I would say, 80% of the time is the make or break, the take it or leave it. Or if it's forced, then you just got to figure out, you know, especially depending on the age, if you're 58 and we have to go all the way to 65, then more than likely you're out looking for other work mm -hmm. because it's not going to make sense. If you're 63, 62, then your donut hole, if you will, or the time period to get to Medicare isn't quite as long. Then we just have to adjust some things to make it doable. Great points. And again, that's if you're forced into an early retirement, just some of the complications that do pop up and how the financial advising that you're getting, the retirement planning that you're getting is a lot about more than what stock do I pick? As you can see, so many different elements of the conversation start popping up there. Another great example of this, Matt, and great is probably not the best adjective to use here. Another unfortunate example that falls into this category is when somebody loses a spouse a lot earlier than they'd planned, that can cause major upheaval in a financial plan. And yeah, who cares what stocks you're picking at that point? That's not going to make a difference when it comes to your financial plan when something like that occurs. Well, you're right, because the first aspect of that is the emotional issues that come around with that. And I had this happen with a client about a year and a half ago. And as we were 
you know, changing things over to just his name and, you know, moving some of the assets and quite frankly, collecting some of the assets that we didn't have before because she was not able to move those assets. I remember telling him, listen, this money is going over here. This money is going to sit here in cash. We're not doing anything. We're going to come back and address this in six to nine months because there's no way I want you to be making decisions or me advising you on these financial decisions when I know for a fact that there's the emotional aspect of taking all of this in. And we need to go through that grieving process so we come out on the back end and we can make more clear decisions financially than just looking to do something once the assets come over. And he agreed with that. And that's what we did. I remember there was another situation where someone had just come into my office. They were a referral. And tragically, the day that they left, he died that night. Oh my and gosh. I got a phone call three weeks later from the wife. And the wife came in with her brother. And I said the same thing to them. I said, my advice to you is do absolutely nothing for the next six to nine months. I mean nothing. I wouldn't be moving anything. I wouldn't be making decisions on, they had some real estate properties. I wouldn't be making decisions on selling that. I wouldn't do anything. It blew me away. It was such a shock because of the ages and the nature of how it happened that I'm thinking of just myself. I was stunned. I don't want to be in the situation of having to give financial advice when there is such a shock to the system like that. And so that's been my advice and that's been my position. Quite frankly, even when my dad passed, same thing I did with my mom. Mom, we're not doing anything for six to nine months. Nothing. And let's readdress this after, you know, my mom and, and quite frankly, obviously myself, we go through this process to come out on the back end with hopefully a clearer head and understanding of the direction we need to go now. Now, I guess with the only caveat there be if somebody hasn't done any planning, then, I mean, it sounds like in these some of these cases, the status quo was already well-planned. And so then maintaining the status quo was the best course of action and let the emotions kind of recover going through something like that and not making rash financial decisions during that emotional time frame. What if the status quo hasn't been well-prepared? What if you have kind of had things as kind of a mess? How do you then define that line of where to make decisions, where not to make decisions? Is there a case where not making a decision or not doing anything is, and I know that not doing anything is probably a somewhat loose categorization in, in your example there. There are probably things that need to be done, but you're saying don't make any major changes. But do you get what I'm getting at? Is there a time when you do need to say, actually, look, we can't just sit here and wait for nine months. We have to kind of battle through this emotional decision because things are kind of a mess. And if that's the case, then yeah, then I would zero in on the things that need immediate attention. So for instance, one of the things I can think of immediately would be, okay, well, if both of them are still in their working years and we just had a loss of income, depending on the income needs that the family is needing, especially if there are still kids in the house, what have you, then we need to make adjustments accordingly to get us six to nine months out. There's other situations that could create that situation of needing to make changes, but I still would revert back to the idea of 
let's take care of what needs to be done and addressed immediately, almost as if you considered it an emergency. And let's hold off on the other things until we're past that time period. For some people, six months might be too long, you know, three, four, five months. Others might need longer, but I would address it. I would prioritize. For instance, if there's a tax issue coming on and then we know we've only got to the end of the tax year, yeah, that obviously needs to be needs to be addressed. But in terms of like the movement of assets and stuff like that, I would aim to say that, you know, get yourself in a financial position to be six to nine months away before really making those decisions. Makes a lot of sense. So there's two examples so far of how financial planning, real financial advice goes well beyond just picking investments. It's really about solving problems. And those are two major ones being forced into an early retirement and potentially, you know, losing a spouse earlier than you had expected. Somewhere else we see where the financial planning goes, you know, a lot deeper than just picking those investments. Not as dramatic maybe as those last two examples, but maybe more common. Matt, would be when you have somebody with a tax-related problem. I'm sure you see those come through the door all the time. All the time. I met with someone today that was like that or had that situation. And the reality is most tax issues have an expiration date on being able to mitigate the potential tax due, and that's 1231 of every year. And then, depending on where the assets are, you might be able to delay it or move forward. And so in the case that I had this morning, there was an inheritance that had came. And most inheritance, if it comes over and it's after-tax type investments, cash or stock, mutual funds, real estate, there's no tax due to the person inheriting it. In this particular case, it was an annuity. And the annuity had some sizable gain to it that now was going to be taxable to the person inheriting it. And so what we did, we looked at, okay, what's your overall income going to be in this calendar year, 2018? And what do we anticipate it to be in 2019? And is the company that you're inheriting it from going to give you the option on when, quote, to cash this in? And in this particular case, their lower income year was going to be this year, not next year, because they had another income source starting next year. And so the advice was to mitigate the tax issues that you have. This is going to be the lowest tax you will pay on that inheritance versus next year when your income is going to go up, which means you're going to be in a higher tax bracket, which means you're going to pay higher tax on that amount of money that you were going to inherit. So, and that can even be year over year over year. Let's say it's not even an inheritance, you know, I've been preaching about this forever. We have too much money in qualified retirement accounts. So we have all of our money there. And so then we want to be looking at year over year over year as to are there opportunities to mitigate or pull money out or convert money in those tax categorized states, IRAs, 401k, 403b, et cetera, to move out at a lower rate to save us now and in the future. And when I say save now, many times... I'm advising to create a tax bill, which actually flies in the face of conventional wisdom. But the goal is that if we do it today, especially with where the tax code is, I am reducing or eliminating, depending on what I do with that money, for taxes long term, no matter where the tax code goes in the future. It's so interesting. I'm sure you've seen it many, many 
times before just how crafty isn't the right word, I guess, because you're not supposed to be crafty in your taxes, right? It is what it is, but just how many different layers there is to the whole tax code and just to the tax issues that people have and just how much flexibility there can be in how you attack that problem. I'm actually going to say that the word crafty is a good word. Okay. All right. I didn't want to get in trouble with the IRS and be like, you know. yeah, I mean, they, they might, you know, but the reality is the tax code in so many different ways, when you understand it, crafting means tax mitigation, not evasion. It does not mean tax avoidance right? or tax evasion. Tax evasion gets you 10 to 20, <laughs> right? Yeah. But tax mitigation is taking the opportunities that the tax code allows you to have and be able to use those to your benefit. And first of all, you have to understand them, right? You have to know the questions to ask. You have to understand, for instance, when the client I was meeting with today, they were under the initial impression that the annuity was going to, they weren't going to owe any tax on it. And I said, well, do you have a, a recent statement? Let's take a look at this. And we looked at it and no, sure enough, Called the company. Okay, what's the taxable amount to these guys? And their eyes really, you know, expanded. (laughs) Let's just use that, right? And they had no clue that that money was going to be taxable, or I should say the gain on that account was going to be taxable to them. So, you know, crafting, you're right, might not be the right word, but understanding tax mitigation opportunities, and most of those opportunities expire 1231 of every year. And so the proactive tax planning approach to planning is looking year over year over year over year. One of the things that talking to the clients today, for instance, they have an income source that's starting next year, which will be 2019. And then they get a big income increase in three years. And so it was pretty easy to see from a taxable income standpoint, this is your opportunity to pay the least amount of tax on that inheritance without, you know, delaying it or deferring it out. So is that being crafting? Well, maybe we're mitigating the potential tax cost compared to if we wait. The word crafty isn't the bad word that I was afraid it was. Um, It sounds like, so that's good. That's really good. All right, we're beating this, I think, into the ground, and rightfully so, about how financial planning is a lot more than just investments. It's about solving problems. Let's end on a fun one here. We talked about being forced into an early retirement earlier in the podcast. What about somebody who hates their job and wants to retire as soon as possible? One, what challenges you know does that present? And two, do you have any good stories about somebody who was in a situation like that? We all love a good quit story, right? Wasn't that in The Office? There was an episode where they're all, I think it was Oscar was like, oh, I love a good I quit story. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I actually, the funniest one I've heard was speaking with someone and we were kind of at the very beginning phases of planning. And so I'm asking, you know, numerous questions and they had filled out our forms and blah, blah, blah. We're kind of, and I I just made the comment. So when are you wanting to retire and help me understand what your definition of retirement is? And he says, I want to retire yesterday because the guy that is in the cubicle next to me takes his shoes off and they stink every day. (laughs) That's like something straight from the office. You you haven't went to HR about that one. (laughs) 
that one seems like it should be easy to solve, but that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah, get a real strong air freshener. But, you know, so what we did in that particular case was, I mean, he was like, listen, if I got to hang around for another year or two, you know, I will. But if we can design a plan that I can retire, I would love to, you know, walk in and give them two weeks and I'm out the door. I'll give you a bonus if I don't have to smell those shoes one more time. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) And in his particular case, we did. We were able to, you know, based on where their monies were, income sources, blah, 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 that kind of stuff. We were able to show him that he could accomplish that and walk out his, uh, and this was a key. His definition of retirement was not working full time, but consulting. And he chose the gigs he wanted to take. That was his definition. And so one of the things that I then asked is, okay, how many jobs or how many, you know, consulting gigs are you going to take? And what does that mean financially? And so he came up with a number. This is what I know I can get. And so we were able to build that in. Okay. How long are you going to do that? I'll probably do that till I'm 70. Okay. Well, if you bring in this amount of money and we have these other assets, and then we did some social security planning, she had a small pension coming in. Boom. You could walk out today, but let me show you something. If you get lazy on this consulting aspect, look what happens if you don't do that. And so they were able to see Mm -hmm. both sides of the equation to be able to recognize your definition of retirement is here. You're wanting to leave today. It is early. And the only way you can do that, part of that money has got to come in from the consulting. And that was five years ago, five years ago today, he's still doing that, as a matter of fact, I would say every year he's gone a little bit above those consulting numbers that he was estimating. But went into it with eyes wide open, it sounds like. Yeah. I've had other people that have wanted to, you know, many times, listen, I would love to have retired yesterday. But we go through the numbers and it's not a doable scenario. And so then we're, you know, okay, if we work two more years, if we work three more years, okay. In some cases, well, we're going to pull her social security at full retirement. We're going to hold off on his till 69 to be able to do that. So we're not necessarily getting the full amount of social security from a growth standpoint to age of 70. And we needed to do that because we didn't want to draw down the overall assets. But the idea of being able to retire today wasn't in the cards. We still needed to save some more money, right? We needed to have that income source come in. So in that particular case, We weren't able or the client wasn't able to go ahead and retire yesterday. Always fascinating to see the different stories that you bring to the podcast and uh, great to see the success stories like the one you were talking about there just a moment ago, how they can often reach a successful conclusion. So, And I know this was just a couple of examples, but we probably, Matt, could have had this list go on and on about how financial advising is a lot deeper and how it becomes more about solving problems. And do you really see that bear fruit in every single meeting that you have with somebody? Is, has there ever been a time where it was just about what stock to pick or just what's the right investment? Or have they all gone a little bit deeper than that? They all have because I take them there. If uh, someone just wants to talk to me about what stock to pick or what the market's going to do, I'm really not their advisor. Hmm, right? Because in doing this as long as I've been doing it, I know life happens. Like I'll give you an example. I have a client. We met with them almost two or met with her two years ago. She's single. And I told her at that point in time, you know, the reality is you could retire if you want to. Well, I don't really want to. I still want to be engaged, blah, blah, blah. So she has a job. She's working full time. I get a call from her three months ago. Hey, listen, I have this opportunity. They're going to still pay me my benefits and I get to reduce my time by 30%. Hmm. 
And all I had to say to her was, well, is that something you want to do? Because we already know the numbers work. She goes, yeah, I really think I do. I was like, well, then take it. Right. So being able to go beyond where two years ago, hey, Matt, you know, how should I invest my money? I know it's going to be way more than that as we continue to work with the clients and life happens, lifestyle needs change, all of that goes into the whole planning process. And all the way back to the beginning of the podcast, I think that is where our industry as a whole should be going. And more and more advisors should be looking at the role that they're playing to advise a client in all different aspects. You know, I've helped clients get out of God awful real estate deals. You know, that's not something that has to do with, you know, what the market's going to do, but being able to recognize and step in and guide them. Hey, listen, you need to go talk to a real estate attorney. I would go after this part of the contract and that part of the contract. By the way, I'm not a real estate attorney or a realtor (laughs) for compliance, Mm -hmm. but being able to recognize when in this case, the client is out of my wheelhouse, but I can recognize there's a problem. I think that is where the financial industry as a whole should be going. Yeah, to but, be it's, able to but it's the not. Client. It's not. Yeah. That's yeah. the problem. You know, I talk with a lot of financial advisors all across the country, and they do not want to go down that road. One, they're too lazy. In some cases, I'm not painting a broad brush of all of them, but some it's they're too lazy. They don't want to dabble in all those other things. They want to focus on what they know and just do that over and over and replicate it. Or the situation often is they're scared. They don't want to give advice. They don't want to go down that road. They don't even want to You mentioned compliance, right? Oh, I don't want to give advice. I'm too scared of compliance and that word and then not being able to deliver on it. And so there's fear that holds a lot of people back. So unfortunately, what would we all like? That would be an advisor who helps us look at the whole picture. Yet so many different factors go into some financial advisors only wanting to look at very certain portions, certain little aspects of a financial situation. In reality, that protection that's trying to be put in place for one reason or another ends up being detrimental to the overall, you know, big picture. Yeah. And, you know, I've had people come in and spoke to other advisors and they've expressed exactly what it is you're talking about. But in my opinion, if the advisor can recognize that, like in the real estate, now I happen to have, you know, a 20 year history with real estate. But even if I didn't, if a client calls me up and said, Hey, listen, I think I got into a bad deal. I got $55,000 sitting in escrow. I think I'm going to lose. My immediate response to that client is to go into help mode. Well, why don't you send me over everything that you've got? And if I can recognize there's an issue here, this is where I would go and look at. And then be able to refer to the client. In this particular case, the property was in California. I don't know real estate attorneys in California, and I don't know California real estate law, but I did a quick Google search. I called three different real estate attorneys, described the problem, and said, are you willing to take a call? I'm going to let my client know that they can reach out to you, and you already have an idea on what's happening. I'd let the client know, hey, listen, This is who I would call. This is why you figure out in the conversation with them who you like, who you trust, and then engage them to assist you in that problem. In that case, from a compliance standpoint, all I've helped to do is to find someone in that part of the, quote, industry or real estate that's going to be able to assist the client, and that's their wheelhouse. But initially, the client knew to come to me, and I think that... Medicare, for instance, or Medicaid planning or estate planning, 
or even tax planning, right? I work with tax attorneys for our business owners because I understand that when it gets that complex, somebody's got to come in. And that's what they do all day, every day to make my client have the best opportunity for success. And I think other advisors that aren't doing that, they're missing the boat. Yeah. It's uh, quarterbacking the situation in a way. And that's really important. Yeah. Well, if you aren't working with an advisor like that, you'd like to find out what that would be like. You want to chat with Matt Hausman about your situation. You can certainly do that. It's as easy as picking up the phone and giving him a call. 610-719-3003 if you want your financial plan and your relationship with your financial planner, with your advisor, to go a little deeper than just talking about what investments are best. You want it to go to that next level, that deeper level, which, like Matt said, it often, often, almost 100% of the time does go to that next level because, what, life happens. Give Matt a call, 610-719-3003. If you're new to the podcast, you want to hear more, go to smartmoneyquestions.com. We've got bukus of episodes recorded now, so you can go listen to Matt's thoughts and opinions and ideas on all sorts of different money topics, not only related to retirement, but financial planning in general. Uh, We even kind of take steps outside of the financial world sometimes and go off on random tangents talking about all sorts of stuff. So go to smartmoneyquestions.com to hear those conversations, to read the blog, watch some videos, all sorts of great stuff there on the website for you. And uh, if you want to become a client, you want to talk to Matt about what that process would look like, you can get in touch through the website. You can send us email questions as well. Info at smartmoneyquestions.com is the address there. Info at smartmoneyquestions.com. Matt, thanks for the help and the guidance on today's show. And we'll have another great podcast on the docket for next week. Sounds great, bud. Thanks again. Have a good one. That's Matt Hasman. I'm Walter Storholt. Thanks so much for taking some time out to tune in and listen. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, you can do that. If you're on Apple Podcasts or iTunes or Google Play or Google Podcasts, Spotify now, we're on Spotify as well, and lots of other podcast places, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't have to miss an episode. You'll get these little alerts on your phone when new episodes get posted that you can click on and listen to, or just look out for that weekly email that Matt sends as well. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you next time on the Smart Money Questions Podcast. 